Matthew 10, we're going to read from verse 34 to 42. 34 to 42. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receives you, receives me. And he that receives me, receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, truly I say unto you, he shall in no way lose his reward. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, as we look at this passage in the words of your Son that you sent, Lord, these very important words for us that are so relevant to us today, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit this morning, that you'd fill each one of us, that you'd give us ears to hear, that you'd soften our hearts, that you'd take away distractions, that we would see, Lord, what it is that's most important and what it is each one of us need to hear this morning from you. Make this more than a sermon. May we hear your word. May we hear your son speaking through the Bible this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this chapter, Matthew 10, if you remember, which we've been looking at for the last few Sundays, is all about the sending out of the twelve. Jesus is sending out the twelve apostles. That's what apostle means, right? To be sent, to carry on his work. But of course, this chapter has broader application than just that narrow time in the first century before uh, Jesus even was crucified when he was doing his ministry in Galilee. This passage has a broader application beyond that time. And there's some clues in the text we've already seen. This applies to us. So as we look at this passage, as we read this passage, think about this morning, how does this apply to me today? Because we live in the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And this is what this passage is all about. And as Jesus sends forth his apostles, as we've looked at, most of what he has to say is negative. Right? So he says, I'm sending you forth. You're going to go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But guess what? I am sending you forth like sheep among wolves. That is the mental picture you're supposed to have. This is how it's going to be for you as I send you out to preach the good news into the, into the world. You are like sheep among wolves. Just think about that for a moment. And because you're like sheep among wolves, they're going to deliver you up to councils. They're going to kick you out of religious institutions. 
What he has in view here is, of course, religious persecution. You're going to be brought before governors. They're going to scourge you. And some of you, they're going to put to death. Brother is going to hate brother. Father, child, children will rise up and even put their parents to death. And in verse 22, he says, you will be hated of all men for whose sake? You're going to be hated of all men because of your obnoxious ways? No. You're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake. On account of Christ, you'll be hated of all men. Now, Jesus, in light of this, tells us don't fear. There's reason to fear. There's cause to fear. Many people are afraid because Jesus sends us out and we face such persecution. Who wants to be like a sheep among wolves? Did you sign up for that, John, when you, were, when you came here to Utah as a missionary? I send you for the sheep among wolves. But you came. Don't fear, Jesus says, because many of us can be discouraged and prone to fear in the light of all this. And when we come to verse 34, in the light of everything Jesus said, a question is raised. Why must this be? He's telling us the fact of it. The fact of it is, you're going forth as sheep among wolves, and for the most part, many men, you'll be rejected and hated of all men. Why? And isn't that strange? Now, he's talking to the apostles. I thought the Messiah was going to come and bring positive change. This was the common view in Jesus' day. This is what the Jewish people were expecting. This is what Jesus' disciples were expecting. They were expecting the Christ to come and to bring peace on the earth. They were expecting when the Messiah came, then there wouldn't even be war anymore. In fact, the prophets say that men would take their swords and they would beat them into farming tools. And now Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but swords, <laughs> right? And that's very strange. That's an unusual thought for a Jew and for the disciples. In verse 34, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to send peace. Jesus is correcting their understanding of the Messiah. Just like in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Don't think I've come to do away with the law. He's correcting their understanding. Think not that I've come to bring peace. That's what they thought. Now, by them thinking that, they weren't entirely wrong. You recall in the prophets, many times, the Messiah is promised to come and bring peace. Isaiah chapter 9, Unto us a son is given and a child is born. The government will be on his shoulders and there will be no end to his government in the earth. And he'll be called the Prince of Peace. In the Gospels themselves, we find the angels proclaiming at the birth of, of Christ, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. So it wasn't wrong for the Jewish people and it wasn't wrong for the disciples to expect peace when the Messiah came. But what they didn't understand was that first, the Messiah was to come to be rejected and to atone for our sins. To raise from the dead, as Jesus tells them later, ought not the Messiah to have come and to have been crucified and risen from the dead, and then be received up into glory at the right hand to come again at another time. What they didn't understand was the nature of the two comings of the Messiah. Yes, to bring, to bring peace ultimately, but in order for peace to come, what needs to be there first? How does peace come to mankind? 
through righteousness. There is no peace for the wicked, God says. God doesn't come to bring peace for sinners, for the wicked. One must be righteous in order to enter into the blessed kingdom of God. And without righteousness, there's no hope for peace. If the Messiah only came once, brothers and sisters, to bring the kingdom of God, then let me suggest to you that none of us or anyone would enter it. So it would be a pretty lonesome kingdom. The Messiah would come and reign over all the earth that doesn't, it, it's not inhabited. <laughs> Christ first needed to come to bring righteousness to sinners so that we might be able to enter in to the kingdom of God and experience his peace. And yet this very same message of righteousness and the good news of entrance into the kingdom of God, and that sinners like you and I can experience peace with God through Christ. This very same message is the cause of contention. It's on account of this message that is to bring peace and is to bring righteousness to sinners that contention and persecution comes. The first coming of Christ brings not peace, but a sword. Now Jesus isn't talking about a literal sword in the sense of a militaristic sword. There are those who have taken this verse out of context in the name of Christ and thought, hey, look, he came to bring a sword. Militarily, Jesus has come, and we're to bear the sword and, and convert people to him through the sword. This is not Jesus' meaning at all. If you compare this saying with the very same saying as it is recorded in Luke, Luke doesn't use the word sword, but the word division, or literally disunion. I didn't come to bring peace, Jesus says, but I actually came to bring division and disunity. Jesus' meaning is further made clear in verse 35. Look with me to verse 35. I am come, here's what he means. I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother. That's a sad thing, isn't it? I don't think Jesus is saying this with a big smile on his face and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. Remember, this applies to our day. So think about this. In the King James, it says, I'm come to set a man at variance. The Greek word is dikazo, which actually means to cut asunder. Here's the work of the sword. He's cutting asunder relationships. This is the result of Christ's coming. The inevitable result. Charles Erdman write, wrote on this passage, these separations will appear even in the most sacred circles. Jesus came to bring division. So much so, even within that human relationship that shouldn't have division. The one, most of all, you wouldn't expect division to be in. The one that you care about most division will occur on account of Christ. See, if it wasn't going to affect your family relations, we might be able to bear it and say, well, you know, it really stinks to lose that friend, but it's not the end of the world. I've still got my family. Even those of your own household will be your foes. So much so that a child would raise up to even put to death his own father. That's a pretty extreme thing, isn't it? How many of you would even think of rising up to put to death your own parent? Or how many of you parents would even think 
to put to death your own child. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? And yet, can you hear the words of Jesus saying, this will happen on account of me? Christ is no safe person. He doesn't just come to bring warm fuzzies. But the existence of Christ, who he is and what he has done and the message concerning him is so radical, it will even cause division like that. Isn't that amazing? And if, if you can grasp that, but you don't understand, how could that possibly be? Maybe you're not seeing how radical the gospel really is. That's how radical Jesus Christ truly is. Your loyalty to Christ, brothers and sisters, must be supreme. You must be willing to believe in Christ and to stand with him even if you were to lose your own family members. Otherwise, Jesus says, you're not worthy to be my disciple. R.T. France points out the word worthy doesn't necessarily mean you don't merit to be my disciple. It means you're not the right sort to be my disciple or it's unsuitable. It's elsewhere. You cannot be my disciple. It's an impossibility. It's incompatible. You can't be a disciple of Jesus if you hold to your family relations even more than he, because he will divide that. See, we live in a very unique place here in America where we don't see that too often. It's on account of our culture, on account of the government, the system that we live in. Usually you won't see um, families rise up and put their family members to death, but we do see this throughout history and today in other parts of the world. And when we see this, it shouldn't surprise us or even disgust us. It shouldn't turn us off from Christ. It shouldn't make us say, if Jesus does that to a family, I don't want any part with Jesus. He's telling us that's what's going to happen. What do you value more, family unity or Jesus Christ? J.C. Ryle, the pastor in England in the 1800s, said, we have no right to be surprised if we see this continually fulfilled. We are not to think it's strange if the gospel rends asunder families and causes estrangements between the nearest relations. We might not see people get killed in this country, but you may see your family torn apart by Jesus. Maybe you believe in Jesus. Maybe you, you went to church and you heard the preaching of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Hey, you're a sinner. And because you're unrighteous, there is no peace for you. But guess what? God loves you. And God sent his son to take care of your sin problem, as we sang this morning. Jesus paid that. Jesus paid it all. Though your sins are as scarlet, you believe in him and you trust in him, and your sins are, are washed clean, whiter than snow. Yes, there's power in the blood. For a sinner like you, that's how much God loves you. And we're declaring to you this good news and this message, and you believe it. And you go home. And you say, hey, Mom and Dad, guess what I heard today? I heard a wonderful message from the Bible about what God does for sinners. You and I are both sinners. We're not worthy, Mom and Dad. We're not, we're not good enough. We're unrighteous. And we don't have any excuse. We're guilty. But guess what? God loves us, Mom and Dad. God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And by believing, we're saved. And they say, no, hold on, son. That's not, that's not what we taught you growing up. That's, 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 a, 
an unrighteous thought. Yeah, it sounds nice, but it's not true. You can't just get to heaven by just believing son. We've taught you your whole life that God rewards those who are good and he punishes those who are bad. And son, if you're going to get into the kingdom of God and if you're going to experience peace with God and relationship with God, son, you've got to be a good person. You've got to keep the rules just like we've taught you your whole life and say, no, mom and dad, that's not what the Bible says. If you believe that, mom and dad, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And they say, well, son, if you believe that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Tension. It might not result in death in the West, but it might result in a separation between you and your parents. And in some countries, it will result in death. Peter says, don't think it's strange. First Peter chapter 4, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. Jesus is teaching us not to think that's strange. It is to be expected we are going to see that. And when it happens, don't think something must be horribly wrong here. We are to think, Jesus told me this is going to happen. And we must recognize this is the time that we live in. Brothers and sisters, according to the words of Jesus, in our time now, it's not the time when the gospel is going to be believed by every single person in this world or by every single person in this country or by every single person in this city or by every single person in your neighborhood or by every single person in your own family. Now, if your family all does believe, that's very wonderful. But that's not guarantee for every person. Now is not the time when every single person is going to understand the gospel and say, oh, that makes perfect sense. Oh, you're absolutely right. Oh, I see it. I respect you for that. Now is not the time when we're going to see that. Now is the time when we're going to see mostly rejection and all men hating us for Christ's sake. Now is the time when we're going to see division in our own families. We have to acknowledge that and settle it in our mind. That's the that this is the state of things at this time. It won't be like that forever, though. Because there's coming a time in the future when those who have believed, even in persecution unto the end, when Christ returns again, then all men, as Brad said earlier, will bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then all men will acknowledge that God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten Son. All men will acknowledge that there is no such thing as righteousness by works, that there is no way a sinner can enter the kingdom of God based upon his own efforts. And all of that teaching by all the other religions was wrong. And the one teaching that everyone agreed upon was wrong was right. As Christians, we need to understand that we live between the comings. In verse 38... Jesus shows us to what extent it might cost us to follow him even more than your family being torn apart. This is the very first time Jesus mentions the cross so far in our gospel. Verse 38, he says, And he that does not take his cross and follow after me, meaning, by taking the cross, you're following him. He himself will be going to the cross. 
he himself will be condemned to die. And whoever does not follow me is not worthy of me. You can't be my disciple. It's impossible for you to be my disciple if you do not take your cross and follow me. Jesus knew, this shows us, Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. He knew from the very beginning why he had come into the world. He knew from the very beginning where he was going and what would happen to him. He knew he would be rejected. He came into the world for that reason, to go to the cross and to bring us righteousness and peace with God. But here he's not so much focusing on the atonement. Here he's focusing on the fact that he was rejected. And brothers and sisters, if we believe in Jesus Christ, do you realize we are believing in a rejected Messiah? We are believing in a Messiah who was misunderstood, mocked, betrayed, beaten, scourged, crucified. Lied about, slandered, even after his resurrection. Sometimes we can forget that. And Jesus Christ, the one whom we follow, was rejected. He had a cross that was forced upon him. He carried it and was crucified. Will you stand with that kind of Messiah? Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Because if you do, he says, then you too will be rejected. You too will be misunderstood. You too will be slandered. You too may be killed on account of me. And many have been on account of him. Brothers and sisters, unto death we must hold to Christ. Every one of us must think about this deliberately. If you were called to die, oh, you're one of those Christians who believe that you don't have to keep the commandments to be saved and who believe that it's just this free gift, that unrighteous, despicable thought, the world would be good if you didn't exist. Out of our synagogues, out of our cities, and out of this planet, to death with you for believing such a horrid thing. Would you recant to spare your own life or would you believe even unto death? Think about that. What's more important to you? Christ soberly warns us and encourages us in verse 39. He that finds his life or saves his life shall lose it. The Son of God tells us explicitly and point blank. If you save your life, you'll lose it. If you back away from me on account of losing your own life and you say, I don't want to die. Okay, I don't believe it. Okay, you're right. You will lose your life. And yet, he encourages us after he warns us, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it you will have it. What do you gain for standing with Christ? What do you lose for standing with Christ? You gain eternal life with him. You lose what? Your short life here on this earth? What do you gain and what do you lose if you don't stand with Christ? Well, you gain your short little life here on this earth. Maybe you won't die so fast. What do you lose? or trying to save your own life. You lose everything. You lose relationship with God. You lose your very own life. 
for a lie. R.T. France commented, those who followed Jesus did so with their eyes opened. Jesus talked about deliberately becoming his disciple, deliberately considering what it costs to become a disciple. Remember he says that? No one goes to war, no king goes to war without first sitting down and counting the cost. No one builds a building without first sitting down and seeing, do I have the materials to build the building? This is what discipleship, this is what faith in Christ will cost you. Hatred from all men, disunity with close relations, and death. So, what do you say? I, I say to you that we need each one of us to understand that believing in Jesus will cost us. And do you consider and count this cost, you who believe in Jesus? But brothers and sisters, it's a no-brainer decision, if you ask me. It's worth it all, if you ask me. It's not worth not believing in Christ to save relationship with your family, as wonderful as that is, and to save your own life, as wonderful as that is. It's not worth it. And it's worth it all to lose everything for his sake, to gain life and relationship with God. It's a no-brainer decision. So let me encourage you to consider it and to believe and to follow Jesus, no matter what may happen. No matter if you lose your family, follow Jesus and believe in him. Understand that he is your only savior. There is no other way for you to enter the kingdom of God and have life without believing in him and what he did for you. Now, not everything Jesus says is negative. And we'll see in verse 40, he now turns to a positive thing. This is the very first time he mentions that men will receive your message. There will be those who accept. Those of us who believe in Christ are proof of this, that the apostles' preaching was not in vain. People did believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. And he encourages us here, and he says this very amazing thing. He that receives you receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. To receive Jesus Christ is to receive God himself, is to receive the Father. To have Jesus is to have the Father. To know Jesus is to know what God is like. Jesus, this is a major theme with Christ. He came into the world to bring us to God, not just to bring us to God in some legal sense only, but to bring us to God in understanding who God is. If you receive him, you're receiving the Father who sent him. Everything about Jesus reveals to us what God is like. Jesus reveals to us the Father. We see Jesus as we're going through Matthew, full of love and grace for sinners, and yet upholding the very law that he's come to save us from. This is the Father if you believe, brothers and sisters, then you have God. Perhaps even more interesting than this, 
is that if we receive the apostles, then we receive Christ. We receive Jesus Christ through the, apost the apostolic preaching of the gospel, through the apostles. If you reject the apostles, then you reject Jesus Christ. If someone says, I believe in Jesus, but they do not believe in the apostles and the message of the gospel that's given to us by the apostles, then no matter how much they say they believe in Jesus, they do not believe in Jesus. They have not received Jesus unless they've received the apostles. And if someone says they believe in God and they know God and they've received God and they have a relationship with God and they have not received Jesus, then they do not know God no matter how much they think they do. It's a, it's a delusion. It's an illusion. Do you believe that? There are many people in this world who claim to know God and have a relationship with God who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Is that not correct? Do you agree with Jesus that they do not know the Father and they do not know God? Billions and billions of people in this world who claim to know God and have a relationship with God, according to Jesus, do not have God. Do you believe that? Now let's take that to that next step what we just talked about. There are many, many people in this world who believe in Jesus, or claim to, who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they do not receive the apostles and the message of the apostles. Peter, Paul, James, and John. They say, I believe in Jesus in my own way, or in another way, or by other messengers. And these, this way that they believe in him and by these messengers, they do not agree with the apostles' teaching as it's given to us in Scripture. Now, as much as they say they have a relationship with God and believe in Jesus, according to Jesus, if they don't receive the apostles, do they receive Christ? No. And if they don't receive Christ, they don't receive God either. Our connection to Christ by God's own design is through the preaching of the apostolic message. And when you believe it, that's the only way you know Christ. And that's the only way you have relationship with God. It's very simple. And yet, many people don't see this and understand this. Jesus could not honor the gospel bearers more, brothers and sisters, he could not have approved of his apostles more. He says in John chapter 13, verse 20, if you do not receive those whom I send, you do not receive me. I hear many people tell me, well, I'm going to believe Jesus over Paul, they tell me. You know, because I'll be sharing from the New Testament with them. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote, and this is what the Apostle Peter wrote, and this is what they said. This is what James said. I don't like that. I don't believe in it. I believe what Jesus said. According to Jesus, if you don't receive those whom he sent, you don't receive him. Don't deceive yourself. He couldn't honor them more. Did you know that the Apostle Paul said that we apostles are like the scum of the earth? Did you know that? We're ridiculed, misunderstood, cast out, beaten, rejected. We are the offscouring of the earth. We are, in the eyes of the world, the most despicable scum refuse that you could possibly imagine. And Jesus honors them here and says, if you receive them, then you receive me and my Father. Isn't that amazing? Whom the world says, ah, 
Despicable men, don't listen to them. If you receive them and you see these are not the scum of the earth, these are the ones whom Jesus sent bearing the message from God, the good news from God, the message of the love of God, the message of the grace of God, the message of God's goodness towards sinners, and you say, that's not, that's not worthless. That's not dishonoring to God. That is the truth of who God is. And you receive what the world says is scum. Then you receive Christ and God. He says, you'll receive your reward. Verse 41 and 42, open up verse 40. See, the apostles are like prophets. What is a prophet? Very simply, a prophet is one who speaks for God. And if you hear the apostles preaching and you say, that is the word of God, I, I receive these prophets and their message from God. You receive your reward. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said to the Thessalonians, when we came and preached the gospel to you, you did not receive the gospel preaching as it was the word of man. You received it as it was in truth, the very words of God. These same prophets, apostles, are called the righteous. If you receive a righteous man, now we know from Scripture that there is no one who's righteous by their own deeds, right? This is not saying you look at their life and you see that they're perfect and they're, they don't sin. Oh, so they're righteous, I ought to accept them. You are accepting and receiving these men as prophets and as righteous men. Even though you may look at their life and see, yep, they have sin in, sin in their life. See, this is the mystery here. Because they're proclaiming to you the message of righteousness through Jesus Christ by faith in his cross. And you're saying, this is righteous, and these men are righteous. The conflict is always between what righteousness is. The people thought, well, the Pharisees are the righteous guys, aren't they? They're the ones who are doing everything right. Jesus says, no, they're not righteous. They're just as sinful as everyone else. But those who believe in me, these are the righteous. Do you believe this? Do you receive a righteous man? You'll receive your reward. In verse 42, he says, Whoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only because they're a disciple, they will not lose their reward. Now in, that, in, in the Middle East, in their culture, and I'd say even today, giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty is nothing... Nothing fantastic. It's expected. You wouldn't expect to be rewarded for giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty. That's just your polite, respectful duty. And Jesus is not so much highlighting the giving of the cold water as to the fact that you're giving the cold water to this person because he's a disciple. It's your reason for giving the water. It's your motivation for giving the water. One might give a cup of cold water to an apostle, but not because he's a disciple. Yeah, the guy's thirsty and I'm just doing my duty. But to give the cup of cold water thinking this one belongs to Christ. We have just been talking about the fact that men will hate you on account of Christ. Now we're talking about those 
who receive you and care for you on account of Christ. And how you treat the apostles is how you receive Christ. Do you receive Jesus Christ, friends? Do you reject Jesus Christ and those who follow him? And I mean the biblical Jesus. You could profess with your mouth that you believe in Jesus and have a faith in Jesus, and it is not the true Jesus of the Bible and the true Jesus of Scripture. And you could hate the true Jesus and hate the true Jesus' followers. Do you believe or reject Jesus Christ? And one of the ways you can tell that is what you do with those who receive him. The gospel message, the true message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom, the apostles were sent forth to preach, this very shocking message. God so loves the world. What world? A sinful world. No one is righteous in this world. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has given us his law, and none of us have kept it. As Brad said earlier, we all feel what we ought to do, and we all feel guilty when we don't do it. We ourselves are guilty before God. If God were to judge you and measure your life according to how you ought to have lived, you will have fallen short, and you alone would be responsible for that. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, God doesn't just give us a law and say, this is good for you to do, do your best. God says, you shall do this. And you shall not do this. And if you don't obey, the wages is death. Eternal separation from God. Jesus talked over and over and over again about the reality of hell. Most religions will not tell you much about hell, but Jesus told us because he knew and he cared and he warned us. That is what a person is to expect if they do not enter the kingdom of God. Now, entrance into the kingdom of God requires righteousness and none of us are righteous, but the good news of the kingdom is that God loves you so much. This shocking thing. Can you believe that God loves you even though you don't deserve it? Can you imagine that even on your worst day when you do a horrible sin and you know it's wrong and you feel guilty and you feel filthy, that God loves you so much? Not that he's just like, oh man, I love you so much. Why did you do that? Now you forfeit your, your chance of relationship with God. I love you. I wish you hadn't done that. I can't help you anymore. God loves you so much that even while you sin and are guilty, he undertakes for you to do that which you can't do for yourself because he cares for you and doesn't want you to perish. He came to bear your sin on the cross. He died for your sin. He paid the wages of sin. He shed his blood and bore the cross so that you could have eternal life because he doesn't want you to perish because he loves you. That is an amazing thing. And now he says, believe in my love. What kind of love I have for you. Put your trust in me. 
that I love you even though you're a sinner and that I have taken care of it. That I don't just sit back and whine about the fact that you sin. That I actually came and dealt with your sin on the cross. You don't need to deal with it. Give it to me. Just trust me. Trust me that I love you. Don't you see that by believing in this gospel and only by believing in this gospel that we come to see who God is, that he is a God of grace and love and mercy for sinners, a just God, but more than that, a merciful and good God towards you. Change this gospel message and you will never know who God is. If you've not believed, what prevents you from believing this very morning and receiving the forgiveness of sins and having relationship with God and having a steadfast hope of eternal life? What prevents you from that? Is it fear? Is it not wanting to lose your family? Is it not wanting to suffer persecution for his name? If, if you are afraid of those things, then you can't be his disciple. It's impossible. But hear the words of Jesus. If you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It's worth it. And brothers and sisters, if you have believed the gospel message, then we know what to expect. But is that going to stop you from going and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, even to your own family members, even to your friends. Don't be afraid. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was rejected, but he came because of love and for the joy that was set before him. So how do you think about the coming of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, help us to see that you were rejected. Help us to hear your words that you sent us forth to be hated of all men on account of you. And help us to see this morning that though we live in such a time that you are coming again and things will radically be different and that it's worth everything to lose everything to gain you. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us here that the beautiful gospel message would become so clear that we'd see our sin and realize that only you can take care of it, that you have died and that you have risen and that it is by grace and grace alone that we're saved. Thank you for this message that is our hope.
even if it is our contention. And we praise you for you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.